I will awaken quickly for the sake of all sentient beings and for all beings wisdom, compassion and non-clinging awareness. Good, 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 good. And we'll start again. Oh, with a different homage. Same book, different homage. I prostrate to the to Manjustri, the ever young, avowing my sincere respect to the Buddhas, to their spiritual descendants, to the sublime Dharma, and to the gurus who are the very source of them all. I now write, through the grace and kindness of Holy Mila, this most precious gem of sublime dharma, which is like a wish-fulfilling jewel for both my own and others' benefit. So, <coughs> before I begin um, into the uh, text, do you have any questions about uh, that which may have, you may have read or the uh, meditation I've given you on mindfulness? Do you have any clarifications or... Questions you'd like to ask? Yes. Um, in the introduction, then, if you feel okay, um, I finally get quite overwhelmed, and I don't know if I'm should go back and stick with one sentence, or if I should just read it. <laughs> it seems like a lot. It is a lot. Yeah, it is. It's the especially the the introduction. Actually, the whole book is very pithy, and that's why it requires uh, when I took it when I when I studied it. It was two classes a day for about, it might have been two and a half months. So I'm going to condense it for you a bit. It's whatever time we have, long enough, but it is long enough for you. But it, it does take time and, and lots of new terms. Uh, but uh, it's hearing it, reading it, hearing it over and over again, sinks in. Uh, I got, you know, one, in one sense could study it every two years. And it would just go, whoa. Missed all that, or whoa, missed all that. This is deep, 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 deep. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yes? You said one time that to attain Buddhahood, you <clears throat> must purify seven beings instead of just one for enlightenment, if I understood properly. And can that be done within one lifetime if you purify yourself and six others? Or is it linear? <laughs> How does that <laughs> by by tradition and by uh, by tradition by uh, reports, uh, full Buddhahood is attainable in one lifetime. Milarepa, Gampopa, uh, many being not many, but many, many, relatively many, whatever that means, uh, and and unknown numbers uh, have attained full full complete awakening. The difference is not so much beings, uh, a number of beings. The difference is uh, is self-liberation of the emotional material of one's own being, or the uh, removal of the impediments of great compassion and great realization of voidness for all beings. That's the constitutes the difference between Buddhahood and uh, self-liberation. So this is a teaching of. Buddhahood, but it also contains teaching of self-liberation. Most people, especially people in this room, most people that come to Dharma classes, 
uh, might say they're interested in, in Buddhahood, but, but actually it, that, the maturing of that into from I want to be free of my emotional disturbances into uh, freedom for all beings of their emotional disturbances, all sentient creatures, <coughs> can take a long time to mature. So you want is patient. One is patient. Uh, as we'll see in the introduction, uh, it's not spelled out really there. It's, it's a little bit different. It takes a Mahayana approach. But uh, certainly in the Theravadan approach, and even in teachings of Mahamudra and, and Dzogchen and so on, the great afflictive enemy, when Johanna asked about the Maras, the afflictions, uh, the great enemy is the protection and feeling that the self must be protected, must be safeguarded, must be adjusted. Something about the self isn't right. Something about the self must be um, uh, acknowledged, adjusted, uh, healed, what, whatever it is. And this goes on endlessly in the stories that go on in one's being. Uh, this particular form of delusion uh, is extremely deep and causes extraordinary pain and confusion. But even when one passes beyond that, there's all kinds of levels of not seeing the nature of reality as it is and not seeing the scope of compassion that is possible for all levels of different kinds of sentient beings and, and how to free them. So that, that um, degree of vastness, comprehension of vastness, realization of, of voidness or shunita, uh, and conjoined with compassion um, leads by tradition to an extraordinary full attainment of Buddhahood. Okay. So. Good. Any others? Yes. Uh, good question. One needs to look that up, but by tradition, sentient beings means all beings that have some form of intelligence, but also beings that suffer. So where do you draw the line? Some people traditionally would not consider trees sentient beings. Um, many Buddhists by tradition would consider worms sentient beings. But because they didn't see bacteria, they wouldn't be sentient beings or protozoa or that which isn't seen, nematode worms. Uh, all kinds of creatures are not classified as sentient, although today we would. Basically, as the, as the 17th Karmapa said recently, all beings. Which is lovely. Finally, thank God. All beings. All beings are sentient. And there is a, there's a form of definition of sentience which is very, very ancient, which is all beings that breathe. And if it's all beings that breathe the sentient, that means <clears throat> right up. See, I, I reverse these things. Right up to the microbes as the higher life form. Kind of a joke. But higher life form, the, the microbes, the archaea, all the different kinds of, of single-celled organisms, um, are breathing beings. Even if even the ones that are two miles down in rocks are still respirating 
and are de defined as light living creatures because they also give off waste and at some point they reproduce, even if it's only every 50,000 years. Do you know that? Isn't that amazing? There are creatures on this planet that reproduce, excuse me, uh, every 20,000, 50,000 years. Isn't that amazing? They gather all their metabolic resources every once in a while to divide. And that can be clocked um, uh, metabolically or biochemically. That's quite incredible, isn't it? Extraordinary. So living creatures, they respire, they, they breathe, they breathe in uh, gases, Plants breathe in uh, carbon dioxide and oxygen, but give out a lot of oxygen. Uh, we tend to breathe in air and give off, uh, because we, we, we want the oxygen, and give off carbon dioxide. But all creatures, no matter how small they are, in some way they respire, they, they um, breathe. And they also give off waste products. And a definition of life is that they divide and reproduce themselves. Yeah? So, so too... Viruses, which is the most numerous creature on the, creatures on the planet, which for many, many years weren't considered to be alive, many, many biologists today, because of evidence, consider them living uh, creatures. And the first evidence this year was found of viruses self-reproducing without any cells. It's quite astounding. And they are the most numerous creatures on the planet by far. By far. So that, that kind of reduces us to about 4 or 5% human cells in our bodies. Just that alone, maybe down to 2% by number. Okay, so sentience, uh, all life forms. And then, then you can ask the question, do all life forms experience pain and confusion? And by definition, dharma, the answer would be yes. Even a bacteria, uh, you study them under the microscope, they experience a lot of confusion and bewilderment. It's quite, quite easy to demonstrate. Not necessarily thinking the way we do, but they get bewildered. They bump into things. They make mistakes. They get eaten. They bust apart. They kill themselves. They, they're just kind of wondering, too, what's going on. So, okay, any other questions? I'm assuming you're going to talk about samsara and... Tonight. Exactly. When you... Uh, it's a perfume. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfume. I looked it up in the book. You did. Good. I, did. I found one definition. Good, good, good. We'll come, we'll come to that. Yeah. Assuming you're going to have that one. Yeah. yeah. Any others? Your marvelous banks of questions? Oh, okay. So let's open the text, the three of them. There we go. I actually like really like going back and forth, and I, I must say, each one has its merits, and 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 uh, people. I think people must be very careful not to um, uh, poo-poo or be in any way negative about Gunther's translation. I, I I deeply appreciate it because of its um, keeping of the technical points, the Sanskrit proper, the notes that are the Sanskrit and the Tibetan uh, language. And his um, scholasticism is deeply appreciated. And uh, in the uh, Gems of Dharma, Jewels of Freedom, this translation, uh, sometimes I really like how they order the, the text 
in divisions, as it would often be taught. If you were monastic, you'd be taught it uh, broken down in the way this would be taught. Whereas uh, this book, which you have, um, is good, but it's not necessarily, necessarily how you would teach it monastically. So it's different, different. But it must say it flows very easily, this book. That's why I, I suggested this one. It's also in print. That helps. <laughs> it helps a lot. Okay, the introduction. So you see <coughs> different um, titles, different... Uh, so for instance, in Gunther's translation, it's not an introduction, it's called The Motive. That's important. He translates it as not as introduction, but as motive. The motive. Why. And in this one, author's introduction. His, uh, in Gunther's uh, translation of the homage, it says, Homage to saintly Manjusri, who was once a prince. Isn't that something? Very different, eh? He's taking it literally as the, the way it's written in Tibetan to the Sanskrit is referring to, I think it's Amba, or Amba, King Amba, who was, a, who was Manjusri in a previous lifetime. And he's translating it literally. Homage to saintly Manjusri, who was once a prince where Tibetans refer to as the young Manjusri, but actually in the Sanskrit, it means Manjusri as a prince. Having bowed to the, to the victorious one, his sons, and sublime experiences, as well as to the gurus who are their foundation, in relying on Milarepa and Atisha's grace, I write for the benefit of myself and others this jewel of the noble doctrine, which is like the wish-fulfilling gem. So three very different translations. Of the same words. <coughs> in general, all phenomena are included in the two categories of samsara and nirvana. So it's absolutely fundamental uh, if you're going to study this text or any, anything to do with Dharma. Uh, it, it must spend years developing an appreciation of these two words. But they're not just words, of course. They're describing real living experience. Remember, all this is not philosophy. It has a philosophical basis, but the only purpose is to liberate beings from their bewilderment. So these two words are very important, samsara and nirvana. So let's, let's um, consider that. Two categories. So let's look up, I don't know if you did, but you may not have looked up in the Sanskrit, but samsara. So we, we obviously have um, sam, which, which is complete, total, unified, the whole picture. Uh, often means, samsara means rounded, the round, the, the, um, the, the cycle. <coughs> but samsara comes from sam and tree. We, need, we could use the board. Do you have it? No? It's downstairs. Sorry. If there's a board, 
down at the tent, then it would make sense would be a board here. Okay. Some and root is Shri. You have, if you want to take notes, you have pens. Shri. And actually it comes from Shri Nati. You like this, Shri Nati. Sam and Shri, which is, which is, is lovely. To smash to pieces. To crush. To be crushed, samsara. To break down. To be dissipated or rooted. <clears throat> Fly in different directions. And then a little meaning for samsara. Crushing, breaking, rendering, rending. That's fantastic. So it's very good to go to the Sanskrit and not just take a word like samsara and have one translation, suffering, or cycle of suffering, or cycle of rebirth. To really understand what it means is we get into the human experience, or the experience of all sentient creatures, is for a lot of people in the world, I hope, I hope you've traveled, I hope you've seen, or uh, uh, beings around you, or times in your life, being literally mentally crushed, physically uh, ill that you feel crushed. Uh, some even want to commit suicide. Yes? Commit suicide. Crushed, crushed, crushed under the weight of mental affliction. Sometimes crushed under the weight of physical illness, so much so, and mental affliction, that it's hopeless. Okay? So we have words like to smash, to be smashed to pieces. Yeah? To uh, be uh, crushed. To break down, that's a good one. Break down, break down, break down. To be broken up, broken down. Yeah. And I really like this, this word, uh, which is often never used, is to be dissipated. Samsara is to be dissipated. Uh, the energy runs down, just runs down. Lifetime, really energetic, young, happy, hope. And then as time goes on, life runs people down. See this a lot, yes? Dissipation of life energies. Dissipation of life energies runs them down. Life is life. It's the way it is, kid. Accept it the way it is, kid. You'll be like us later. You know, and, and, and this is, this is uh, very, very typical. Uh, in many, many cultures all over the world, is life the rundown, the rundown, the rundown, dissipation of, of vitality, the, but the dissipation of life force and the dissipation of, of awakeness into a state of dullness. The rocking horse, or the, sorry, the, ro the rocking chair, the rocking horse. <laughs> From the rocking horse to the rocking chair. Rocking, that's very good. Rocking horse to rocking chair. Man, excellent. And in Manhattan, you might get taken away from some sometime in to Manhattan for the a, a giant ad campaign, <laughs> but I like that. Yeah, from rocking horse to rocking chair. Hmm? It's a very good one. Yeah. So you have this vision of millions of beings rocking all day, <laughs> rocking as the energy dissipates out, heading towards what? Yeah, death.
If, if uh, it's been said many, 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 many millions of times by Buddhist teachers, if one does not appreciate the depths of suffering and is still bewildered or has fantasies about the extraordinary depths that people go to suffering, even good beings, healthy beings, happy beings, uh, they're, bewildered, they're deeply bewildered. But the only time people, especially in this culture, get to say thing, uh, we're suffering is when there's a lot of illness or extreme mental confusion or mental illness, loss of finances, loss of the house uh, from tornadoes or floods or this kind of thing. But the daily grind, which can be distracted from at any time, like a drug, cafe, uh, television, magazines, books, jobs, social interaction, anytime can be distracted temporarily away from it, uh, is not seen as a suffering, except for some people now, maybe in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and go, oh my God, what have I been doing? Okay? Just wake up one day and go, I can't believe it. Uh, so if this isn't seen through insight, uh, then um, there's a lot of bewilderment. So that's the actual uh, meaning of samsara. The uh, common translation for samsara is cyclic rounds of existence. That is, rebirth after rebirth after rebirth. And if you don't believe in rebirth, that's fine. Uh, you don't, you don't uh, need to. But if you don't believe in rebirth, then at least see rebirth as happening not just every day of your life, going to sleep, waking up, going to sleep. Uh, somebody says to you, oh, by the way, you'd be really good at being a truck driver. And then a week later, you see an ad in a newspaper or on the Galliano, the Daystar, you know, uh, bulletin board that says truck driver wanted. And next thing you know, you're a truck driver for 10 years. Do you something to drink? So 10 years later, 15 years later, you go, wow, uh, I've been a truck driver. And you say, why? And they go, well, I don't know. Oh, yeah, someone told me I'd be good at truck. So this uh, rebirthing is not just through every day and through 10-year, 20-year, 30-year cycles, 5-year cycles, but actually happens all through the day, like entering portals of ideas, then you find yourself at the beach, or rocky beaches, which is very common on Galliano, or you find yourself all of a sudden buying something, or on eBay, or phoning somebody. And the next thing you know, there is another cyclic round of activity. You see? And most people say, well, what's wrong with that? But they don't know how it actually happens. There's no understanding of actually how this experience takes place. It's called bewilderment. Other people just say, well, so what's, so what's wrong with it? But then when they're ill and, and suffering, they don't know why the pain is so high. It's actually there all the time. It's all, all the time. So the whole of reality... <clears throat> which one? Which text? Ah, oh, here we go. The whole of reality... Oh, it's different here. Generally, generally, all phenomena, in another text, all of reality, 
is, are included in the two categories of samsara and nirvana. Uh, one can also translate that as, generally speaking, the whole of reality is subsumed under the duality of samsara and nirvana. Okay? Do you get the idea of samsara? The, the weight of bewilderment, blind rebirthing, moment to moment, day to day, year to year, lifetime to lifetime, driven by, by illusion, uh, is crushing to a being. And if you doubt the crushing of human beings, just human beings, not, let alone other creatures, go and travel. The majority of human beings on the planet of 7 billion people, the majority, are literally crushed. I meet people who tell me that they would just like to die or be reborn in New York, North America, but crushed, crushed under the weight of life and don't know why it's happening and don't know how they got there except the word karma. And we're not just talking about India, Africa, North America, United States, Canada, Central America, South America, all over. Billions of people who are really, really, really having a very hard time. Yeah? Caught in wars that they, they don't have anything to do with. Right? Maniacal aggressors and greed, people of greed, and they go, why? Year after year, century after century. Right? And then what do you get? And then, then it vanishes, doesn't it? Wonderful family supper, happy. Kids are grown up, kids are doing good things, and you're like, wow, life is glorious. Yes? Yeah, for a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Moments of beauty, moments of, of wonderfulness. Yes? But in the, in the tradition of Buddha Dharma, that too is bewilderment because it has no sustaining power. It too is bewilderment. And some, some of you in the room who have had lovely lives, actually, relatively lovely lives, uh, are tired of being bounced from happy to sad, good to bad, good days, not so good days, days that are glorious but not glorious, days that are glorious and they're glorious, and just um, continually going through states and going, why? Why? And feeling out of control. Hormonally, mentally out of control. So. And then we have the word nirvana. Do you have the idea of the cyclic nature of it? The cyclic nature of it. On, off, on, off, on, off. And then blissful. Life is perfect. Chocolate mousse and a lovely decaf you know, espresso. Mm, just kind, see, but kind of perfect. The chocolate chunks you know, it's just, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, so. Perfect, but then, oh, the mosquito bites. See? So off, on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off, on. So the word nirvana, let's look that up. It's a fascinating word. It gets used a lot. Of course, there's the perfume samsara. Ah, oh, there might be. Has anybody heard a perfume called Nirvana? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's a band. Yeah, yeah. It's a witch? Famous band. Yeah. 
band. Wouldn't be surprised with a cafe, 30 or 40 of them. Well, there's, there's, a, a, there's a clothing store called Mango. Why shouldn't there be a clothing store called Nirvana? Okay, from the root Nur. Nur and Va, but Nur. Wonderful, wonderful root. Nur basically means to go out. It's a, it's a, it's a negative, to, to, to be gone. To, to, to go, to go out. So nirvana literally means, or nirva, or nirvati, means literally to blow out as a wind. So you imagine a candle or a flame that's bright, it's got life in it, it's, it's flaming, uh, but doesn't know why it does what it does, and that, that dissipation of energy, that movement of being burnt by one's emotional afflictions, happiness, not happy, on, off, all the different moods, uh, is eventually exhausted. And the, the uh, example that's often used, I like this, I mean, it's very, very true, it's very, very physically true, is a lit lamp that has fuel. The fuel is passions and afflictive emotions, even happiness, just burning, 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 burning. And then a window gets opened or a door gets opened and it gets blown out. Now, many people, especially Westerners, when that, was first, when that term was first brought in, the attitude by Westerners, especially in Western philosophy, was that that is a negative term which is anti-life. So you extinguish life. doesn't mean that at all. It literally means extinguishing that which extinguishing that which causes afflictive emotional confusion. Doesn't mean blowing out life. Doesn't mean blowing out a person. It means blowing out confusion, blowing out delusion. To cease to blow. You know a blowhard? You know that expression? Blowhard? No? Yeah, yeah, blowhard. That's a good expression, eh? To cease to blow hard. Yeah. To be blown out or to extinguish. To be allayed or refreshed or exhilarated. These are other meanings. To extinguish, to cool, refresh, delight. To put out. So you have to understand what it means. Not put out a life but put out all that in life that is confused, delusionary, and causes afflictive mental suffering, harm to oneself, and harm to other beings. Does that make sense? It doesn't have to be so complicated and so confused. It's a complete path in itself, you know what the word is. Anything that harms, blow it out. That which confuses... Let it extinguish itself. See? But you have to you have to have discrimination, the, the prajna. You found that word in the text? Wisdom? Yeah. But wisdom, which wisdom? That's the that's the that's the problem with using the English word wisdom. It's not precise. Because the actual word they're using in Sanskrit is prajna. And prajna means discriminating uh, wisdom, 
which can differentiate between that mentality and physicality that is conducive to liberation and that which is not. So if you don't have discrimination and develop discrimination about states and about events and so on, then you, you use the word very poorly for things that appear to be wise, but actually may not. It reminds me, I often do this around the supper table, well, our so-called table, our dining room table, when people say, well, for instance, we have this joke about a flaxseed. I call it magic, magic powder. And so many people describe such great things to, to flax. When I ask people, what do you know about flaxseed? They go, well, I don't know. Well, what does it do? It's good for you. Why? Because the package says good for you. Or cereal boxes, you know. Good, good for you, all vitamins, superfood, or ancient grain. Well, it's been there for how many millions of years has that, <coughs> has that grain been around for? All of a sudden, it's a super grain. Right? Just watch until, watch what's going to happen in Peru when the Peruvians can no longer afford quinoa. It's already happening. North Americans and Europeans want quinoa so badly now that Peruvians are growing it like crazy, the price is going up, and you're going to see Peruvians are going to be starving because they can't afford their own grain. Superfood. Yeah. What does it mean? What does it mean? Just ask people, what does it mean? Is there discrimination to go, what is it that... I, those pens jump a lot. They have a mind of their own, don't they? It's amazing. I saw it just jump right off the page. <clears throat> it almost escaped. I caught it. Yeah I, yeah, I saw that. You fought with it and you caught it. Yeah. So, did you get, get the idea? So, so there can be ideas. Now, by the way, I'm not complaining about flax at all. By the way, a few years ago, flax was good for everything. Today, now, there's recommendations that flax is not good for people, men over the age of 45 or 50. Why? Because it also uh, inflames the prostate. But before, it was fine for everything. So what I'm saying is, the confusion around ideas and appearances uh, is, is very high. The blowing out, the blowing out is the blowing out of all these billowing concepts as to what constitutes actual uh, ground of reality. And then you'll say, well, well, what's real? Is flax real or not? We don't care about flax or not because it's about liberation. What's the ground of reality? So that's why I started with the story I gave you this morning from the life of Gampopa. Milarepa said, do you want to stay in meditation samadhi for a week or would you like to know the clear, light nature of the mind? The essence. So this is, this is the important part. Or are you going to be trying all these meditative tools for the rest of your life and staying, staying calm but not liberated. Do you see the difference? Very important. Sir, mm -hmm. is the difference between samsara and nirvana comprehension of karma, understanding karma? One aspect, but not enough. Not enough. And it's prajna that discriminates that. It does. From one to the other. It does. So we'll, we'll, that, that's a major chapter in here. It's a good major chapter. But the discrimination of uh, all facets of reality is vast. Is vast, not just karma. 
my, the appearance of all phenomena and uh, what, what constitutes the experience of all phenomena. So, for instance, for the liberation of you, for the removal of your afflictive uh, emotional disturbances, uh, all phenomena that you experience are still going to basically feel real and appear real. But for removing the veils of deeper suffering, then one is going to begin to see that all phenomenal appearances are constructed by mind, arise out of mind. Arise out of mind. That's much, that's much deeper. Uh, come from, from the, uh, the base of mind, dharmakaya. Okay, let me carry on here. It could be a very long uh, chapter. Although I, I do have a little bit of a lead. I think of how many pages? 43 pages, but I don't want to give up that uh, little uh, contingency number too quickly. Mind you, we haven't made it through the first paragraph. <laughs> to get an idea about, about nirvana, nirvana is the blowing out, the cessation of the afflictive emotions and delusionary states about the nature of reality. Uh, somebody else translated that word as, as phenomena. What else do we have over here? Phenomena, reality, and phenomena. That which is called samsara uh, is empty by nature. This is very Mahayana now. Okay, so now we're now we're going to these both these things: Mahayana, great vehicle, uh, nature of Buddhism, and every once in a while we stray into a Mahamudra tantric view. So that which is called samsara is empty by nature. For many beings, samsara is real. That, that um, ever-present crushing, that cyclic existence of being reborn into ideas and states and experience has a reality, because life has a reality. But here it's being declared, that which is called samsara is empty by nature, a confused projection. Now that should make you happy. And that's actually part of the basis, not the ultimate basis, part of the basis, is that, uh, that all that is being experienced as afflictive emotion actually is uh, empty of a real nature. Swabhava, the word, technical word in Sanskrit is swabhava. So that which is called samsara is empty by nature. It is a confused projection. That should make you really happy. That would be like being in a movie theater. How, watch how simple this is. You're in a movie theater called Life and you ask the projectionist to turn it off. Have you ever had a really lousy movie? And it go, then it's, it's the end. And you go, thank God. Ever done that? Or you're, you're, you're lying in bed or you're on the couch with the television. You just go, ever done that? And it goes, blink. Hotel room, enough, enough. You ever had to say that? Enough? What's enough in German? It's the same word. Genug. Oh, genug, 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 genug. This channel change is very good for that. Before you had to go genug and get up and push the button. <laughs> Today it's just 
Can you do that? But can you do that in life? Not negatively. Not go, I've had enough. But actually, enough. And the bewilderment just comes off. The dream comes off. Enough. Some of you have done that, yes? But can it be with utter surety about the nature and not an emotional reaction which is now setting in motion more karmic formations? (coughs) I hate you. Enough. I hate it. Enough. I'm fed up. Enough. Yes? Is that mostly how it happens? But with utter peace and, and tranquility and openness and discernment of the nature of all phenomena, enough. Blink! It's called nirvana. A confused projection. Beautiful. In another text? The form it takes of samsara is that of illusion. So not, uh, in this case, um, not confused projection, but illusion, maya. And in uh, Gunther's text, he uses the word bewilderment. I like all three. I wouldn't use one over the other. I think they're all great. And actually, all three need to be used as, as uh, let me say it's a projection here. Yeah, confused projection, illusion, right? And bewilderment. That's, that's perfect. It's one word. And this is why it's sometimes, sometimes best to use the Sanskrit word or the Tibetan word because it actually contains all those meanings. We don't have that in English. This word uh, is um, moha, M-O-H-A in Sanskrit. But there's another word which which is in the text of Gampopa's text, which is translated, I I forget the Tibetan, I can look it up, Um, krupa, krupa, which in Sanskrit is branti, which is not very often, very not very commonly used. So let's look that up. Bhanti. Very rarely used. It's a it's a technical term. I have looked it up already. This helps. Then there's Marishka Hardaday. a joke. So, Mlanti, from uh, bronze, or bronze, from the root bris, to fall, this is very different than most, than most uh, common translations. So listen to the word that's used here. So you, usually the word is bewilderment, confusion, projection, all these words? Now listen to the actual uh, translation of the Sanskrit word that's being used in the text. To fall, to drop, to fall down or out or in pieces. To decay, to fail, to decline, to be lost, to be deprived, to slip or escape from, to swerve, to deviate. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? So here we have words bewilderment, confusion, illusion, and so on, yes? But listen to the actual roots of the Sanskrit. Falling, 
declining, decaying, ruined, lost. Bewilderment, lost. Illusion, lost. So that would be, that would be like going to a, a movie theater and being lost in the movie and forgetting that you're actually in a movie theater or in a movie, yes? And that happened to some people, yes, with Avatar? It did, where people had to go for therapy and counseling because of the depression that happened after Avatar, uh, of wanting to be in the world of Avatar and not willing to come out of it. For real, well, that's for sure. Yeah. So that would be like being in a movie theater and so bewildered, one can't actually leave the movie theater and walk out or ask the projectionist to stop and push the off button. Does that sound familiar? Maybe like driving from Vancouver to Winnipeg and one can't get out of the car. Get the idea? Does this make sense as a metaphor for a lot of events in life? That hurts, doesn't it? That hurts. That hurts a lot of beings. Simply don't know how to stop the projection, turn off the movie theater, turn off the movie, walk out the door, and go, <coughs> oh, go, <coughs> not quite like that. <coughs> and go, my gosh, look, there's light out there outside the theater. Yeah, or turn, flick on the light. Can't stop the movie. And whatever movie's showing, they go see it. Or if their friends tell them, oh, that's a good movie. Or the review, you know now, the view, you get a nap. I've never done this, but I, I understand that's the case. You get a nap. I think some apps could be useful, yes? Does anybody have some apps that are useful? No, okay, I don't know. But I, I suspect, but... There are apps that tell you which, yes, reviews all the time. Yeah. And I know I've heard of people that rely on their apps what to buy and what to shop for and where to go, what restaurants to go to and what movies to watch. And if they don't have their app, they experience a lot of emotional distress because the app tells them what to do. I'm not making that up. There's people who've had collapses over this. Does this sound familiar? I mean, where's the app? What's, the app is not a new invention, you know. And people blame this on technology. But who's, where, does the, where does the app get created from? A mind that's already operating by apps. So where's the app? Voices. Voices of society and parents and culture and magazines and movies. Where, what's a common app that, you, that people download all the time? Before the apps, um, what their parents do. What their parents do. What, uh, what's an app? Uh, how to be successful in the world? Yes. How to be? Have you told your Have you told your children how to be happy in the world? What's going to make them happy? Like when they get a job and a, a career. I can just see you doing that. When you, when you have a career, <laughs> you will be happy. You'll be happy. Thank you. Yes. When you get married. And you have children, and you will be happy, and then you can save up your money and invest it in the stock market or RSP, and it will be successful, and then you can retire and go on cruises and be happy. So I imagine you've told your, your children that. Yeah? 
So where do these apps come from? Being told what to do, being told how to think, being, being directed. But some apps can be great, eh? Good, good restaurant recommendations or good movie recommendations. It's marvelous. So positive, negative. So this word, this word is wonderful, eh? Blunts, blunts. Decline, decay, fail, disappear, vanish, be ruined or lost. And I think really the, the main word that's used here is lost or confused. Overthrown, again lost. Deviation, I like that. Deviating from what? No, no. Deviation in life is deviation from what? Not the norm. That's the deviation. <laughs> the deviation from being awake. Knowing actually the nature of apps. Knowing that when you download an app, it's an app. Right? That when you hear a story about life, you know it's a story. When you see an appearance in your mind, you know it's an appearance. When you see a flower, you know it's actually the mind reflecting uh, a phenomena, not actually a flower out there. When someone tells you a story, you don't go emotionally off the rails, or you read something, go off the rails, because you know it's what? Print on a page. Uh, radio waves, someone's voice making up a story to jerk your emotions around, right? That's an app. So at that moment, one is lost in samsara. One's bewildered by the... One's wondering why they're having an emotional reaction to something that they don't even know why they're having the emotional reaction. That's called lost in samsara. They don't know their own mind. And don't put yourself down. That's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. Your responsibility, and it's been declared for thousands of thousands of years, not just in books, but many thousands of teachers declared it, is you can wake up out of that. So there's another app. It's called the Wake Up app. Is If you wake up out of that, then you have the freedom from that and you're not bewildered anymore. Yeah, simple. So a being that is awake has woken up, and that's the Awake app called Freedom. That's the only app that runs through their consciousness is Freedom. And the other one is bewildered stories about, well, if I do this, will I be free? If I do this, will I be free? If I do this, will I be happy? And people go, no, you may for a moment or a day or a week or a month, you'll be happy, but in that you'll be unhappy and happy. But it's not actually Freedom. Yes, Susan? Ah, sure. I can do that. B uh, H R long A N T I. You won't find it in the Sanskrit dictionary. But but uh, you'll, what you will find is B B H R A N S with a dot over it. From the root B H R R with a dot I S Riz. There it is. Okay. And then you can just keep asking yourself, what do you lose? Awakeness. What do you, what, what's lost? Awakeness. What's dissipated? Awakeness. This is very important. So it becomes very precious. You know? Very, very precious. 
So, confused projection. Its defining characteristic is that it manifests as suffering. What manifests as suffering? Voidness. It's interesting, eh? So, written a little bit differently in a different text, laid out differently, the actual na- nature of samsara is empty. This is how you teach, you would teach more monastically. The, the, the actual, this might be easier for you, the actual nature of samsara, it's empty. It's not real. Now, is that good news? You should be going, you know, if it was like a prayer meeting, Hallelujah! It's not real! Okay? And you'd be, oh, man, that's great. You'd be going, that's great! It's not real. Okay? And then the form it takes is that of illusion, confusion, bewilderment, delusion, pain, happiness, all kinds of mental states that aren't actually it, but are just like waves being swayed in the ocean. You know? You do that too. We, don't we do this to each other all the time? We say something, like you just sit at a meal and everybody's around and you go, oh my God, what's in your, what's in your food? What? Oh, it kind of looks like a worm. Oh no, ah! you know, you see a worm. I know lots of times. You learn, you know, you learn, if you have sisters, how many guys had sisters? Didn't you learn it really quickly, you know, that, that, that. I did, I, I, I did, you know. What's that in your soup? What do you mean? Well, it's kind of round and long, and kind of looks like a—is that a centipede? Ooh, that's what I mean. So you—I you, did at least. I don't know. Of course, I was pure. Okay. And then the key characteristic is to manifest as suffering. So that's very clear there. The way in which samsara manifests is pain. But we have to translate then the word suffering. Because if we translate it as suffering, we don't get the full scope of it. We just go, well, when I'm suffering, I'm in samsara. But when I'm not suffering, I'm out of samsara. No, it doesn't work that way. You'll never get out that way. And he says that in there. You can't self-liberate yourself out of this. It just doesn't work. So if I feel better all the time, this is what Kampopo was doing, if I can sit, just like the Buddha, he made the same, same mistake. By the way, I'm, I have great respect. That was an amazing being. But if I just stay for seven days at a time in total serenity, no, no conceptual disturbances, everything's great. That's nirvana. Of course, Milarepa laughed at him, right? Ah, jerk. Buddha tried the same thing. He was able to do, Buddha was able to do exactly the same thing. Seven days. Perfect equanimity, not a single thought. And what did he discover? No freedom. Because what happens when you end it? Then there's mental confusion, all kinds of other things. Just like, just like Gampova, right? Gampova went into retreat shortly after Milarepa gave him some pith instructions, initiations, and what happened? He got all confused. Mental disturbances, doubts, all kinds of things arose. So he wasn't free. But he can sit for a week, completely still mind. Do you understand? But not free. It's very important. So no matter what you do to be happy, 
not free. There will be something that will come along like a Milarepa or a Namjul Rinpoche or a mosquito or a cockroach or a centipede or a worm in your soup and disturb the hell out of you. A thorn in your pillow, your meditation cushion. Something. We'll just wipe it out. Just wipe all that calm away. Gone. Explode away. Now, nirvana. Nirvana is the actual nature is also shunyata. Now, let's not use the word voidness. Shunyata. That's the technical name. The form it takes, I really like the way it's laid out. It's beautiful, clear. The actual nature is also shunyata, emptiness. The form it takes is the exhaustion of and disappearance of illusion or bewilderment. Does that make sense to you? The disappearance of bewilderment, the exhaustion of bewilderment is nirvana. It's that straightforward. Its key characteristic is the liberation from all suffering. If there's suffering, what is there? There's confusion. If you have a cold, do you have suffering? If you have a cold, do you have suffering? Wrong! (laughs) There's no you to have suffering. The cold is an appearance, a sensory experience, but mentally, if it's interpreted as a bad thing, or uncomfortable thing, or even a happy thing, then it's confused. What is a cold? Sensations in the body, yes? Yes. Only the interpretation of the cold, or the pain, or the cut, does what? It can either arise as the experience of transparent, clear, light nature of the mind, or it does what? Arises as confusion, pain, or whatever. A masochist does what? Pleasure. Pleasure. I can't... You know, I think I'll just cut myself again. I think I'll... I'm just, I'm just kidding. I think I'll hit myself against the... My foot against the generator, the other foot, and bleed all over the cabin. You see? No, I'm not... Just saying that would be somebody that would do that, right? Or, or they've cut themselves with once in the kitchen with a knife. Well, you know, that was kind of fun. I think I'll cut my other finger with a knife. Are there people like that? Yes, there are. Is the cutting of the finger the suffering? No, it's a phenomenon. <coughs> the delusion is the interpretation. Which way can it go? What does the saddest do? I think I'll cut other people with a knife. As a matter of fact, I'll bring up the generator and put it out the front door and then other people can hit their foot against the generator and spill blood all over the house. You see? That would be a sadist, yes. So when he talks about all experiences of suffering... All experience, because one doesn't know the nature of experience, is suffering. So I would, I would disagree with the translation, if I may. Great translations, but I would, it's, it's confusing. 
the nature of experience of a bewildered being is suffering. The nature of experience of a being residing in the clear light nature of the mind is not suffering. It knows the nature of all experience. Make sense? Naspa? Could you say it again? No. I've been watching too many neural walls. It's, getting, it's, it's ad, addling my brain. Pui. That's a bad one, huh? Pui? Pui. Nuts. No, that's Kramer. Nuts. <laughs> you should watch the neural wall. You know, when I took this, this course on a boat trip, this whole teaching, we brought in our notebooks. We had to read ahead and study. And we, had to, we, we brought our notebooks in on the first day, and remember Shay looked at it? Put them away. Why? You, get it, you either get it or you don't get it. Simple. So you train to get it right immediately when you hear it, or it's gone and you didn't get it, and now you try again. <laughs> it was that simple. So uh, every class was very immediate because we weren't allowed to take notes. So it was like, boom, right there, trying to get every single meaning, every single word, and imbuing the essence of it, the, the meaning. It cannot be repeated. But it's very simple. I'll try a different way. If the mind interprets experience in any type of uh, dualistic way, it suffers. If the mind experiences uh, the nature of experience, the actual ground of experience, the dharmakaya, the nature of the mind, it's not confused. But the minute it deviates, the second it deviates from that and makes up a story about the nature of experience and doesn't know its experience, it's lost for that time. So the other, the other thing to hear is that samsara is endless. Some teachings say samsara is endless, but actually beings only wander around for a time. Eventually all beings wake up. So all of you, because you're here, are finished. That's the good news. Well, I know that with confidence. But, but because you're here, how many lifetimes that is, that's another question. That would be up to someone like the Karmapa that could determine that. Um, but, but all of you are finished because the uh, stream of bodhicitta is strong enough that it's done. It, now it's just that you have to work at it. It can take a very long time, by the way. You don't want it eons. It's not, it's not fair to the next beings for it to be eons. You want to speed it up. Speed it up. Is that understood? Yes. What's finished? What's finished? Confusion. Finished confusion. Finished with confusion. So uh, when, I, when I read this morning that, Kamp- that Kampopa had reached a stage 
of the exhaustion. It's actually technically called uh, the exhaustion of all phenomena. It means there was no more confusion about anything that appears to the mind. Do you know what I mean by that? No story making about phenomena anymore. And the nature of the mind, the clear light nature of the mind, is totally, utterly uh, seen as a continuum experience and not the phenomena interpreted as reality. Give, let me give you an example. If a prayer flag moves in the wind, <clears throat> you've done your reading, if a prayer flag, let's say, or a foxglove plant moves in the wind, what's moving? Well, clearly the foxglove plant, yes? But no. The quality and the nature of the, of the states of mind determines and sensing and so on, determines the actual experience of the Fox Club, not what the Fox Club is doing. It's interdependent. So this is a fundamental error of beings, is that the experience is actual reality. In fact, the mind behind the experience is the reality. And then even deeper, it's the clear light nature of experience, freedom, that all mind is free. That's the actual reality. So the, what's the end? The end is confusion. And all confusion can be ended if you know where the button is for the remote. Just push the button for the remote. Any others? Okay, let's carry on here. Otherwise, it could be a very long three, seven weeks. Might have to get into 12 or 13. Who is that? Who is it that is confused in samsara? All sentient beings. And then they talk about three realms are confused. Uh, now, now the, the beauty about this is I just want to go over a little bit of this tonight because uh, all of this is explained in detail in each chapter. <clears throat> so guess what? I don't have to actually go through this in detail. I just need to do my duty and read it to you. And I just want to go over certain words because these words are so fundamentally important to introduce what the situation is. I actually like to call the introduction the situation. The situation is hopeless and getting worse. Or the situation is not hopeless and is uh, theoretically not getting worse. How's that for a title? So I, I, I prefer that. I mean, I like this, the introduction. But now I can, just, I can read this with those words and uh, uh, give you the reading transmission of that, and then we start into part one, which is the detailed exposition of everything in this short, pithy introduction. Okay? Good. So I think that's, that's plenty for that. So let's continue on. Who is it that is confused in samsara? All sentient beings of the three realms are confused. On what basis does confusion arise? Confusion arises on the basis of emptiness. You know, that's just such a glorious statement that it's worth saying something about. I, I said I wasn't going to do that, but I want to. It would be like having an ocean that has no disturbances, open, spacious, clear, vivid, bright. Or what? 
turbulent waves jumping around, yes? Are the waves any, any different than the actual ocean? No. But they f certainly feel different. What causes confusion to arise? The cause of confusion is great ignorance. So confusion arises out of emptiness. It has to. What does that mean about confusion? It's illusory. It's not there. It's only made up in the mind. Right? What causes the confusion to arise? What's the only thing that could cause confusion to arise in an ocean that is open, vast, still, pristine, and free? Ignorance of the experience. So any kind of ignorance of what experience is causes confusion and just starts the wave uh, forms going. How does this confusion operate? It operates the activities and experiences of the six realms of migrators. Now, in the classic uh, tradition of Buddha Dharma, there are six different kinds, groupings of beings from hell beings to incredible godlike beings. Humans are in the middle somewhere. We have animals, we have pretas, hungry ghosts, we have all kinds of demonic beings. We have this full, almost evolutionary range going through human beings, then into uh, fine material, um, meditatively absorbed uh, minds and forms right through into beings dwelling in a boundless space, boundless consciousness, and so on. God-like, God basically God-like uh, beings that we uh, generally don't see or don't encounter because our, our consciousness is way too um, uh, what's that, crude, uh, unrefined, to be able to uh, perceive them. Human beings can, but uh, generally not. So those are the, called the six realms of migrators. Why? Because all those beings in those six realms uh, uh, pass away and get reborn. Pass away and get reborn. That's why. What exemplifies this confusion? The confusion is like sleep and dream. Now, let's be careful what this word exemplifies. The translation, it would be good if the word was the metaphor for this experience is sleep and dream. That would be, I think, easier for you to understand. Exemplifies, maybe not, but the closest thing that we can really come to, besides the movie theater example, is sleep and dreams. Is when we're in a dream and we're confused and we don't know it's a dream, that's very much like this, but we think, we think, we feel this is real, Therefore, we go, well, this is reality, and the dream's a dream. That's what they're referring to here. The confusion is like sleep and dream. When did this confusion originate? Because everybody wants to know, you know, people always often ask, so, like, when did, this, as if this is going to help them at all, when did this happen? I always love that when they do that. When, when did this happen? And uh, the, the classic um, Buddhist uh, statement is, this confusion originated in beginningless samsara. It's been going on since the very origination of any kind of sentient life form. So, long time ago. 
And this, well, how many millions of years is that? Well, maybe how many billions of years is that? How many eons? What is the error of this confusion? All experiences are suffering. Now, what they mean by that is all experience that is not of realization of the nature of mind is suffering because it creates more karmic formations. It just creates more karmic formations. When let's let's see what other translations are here. Is it possible to have some light here? That'd be great. Ah, great. That's fine. Yep, that's fine. For instance, in this translation, what would be a suitable example for this illusion? It is like that of sleep and dream. Is that a different translation? What would be a suitable example of this illusion? It is like, it is like that of sleep, of sleep and dream. How long has this illusion been happening since beginning of time? What is wrong? Now, I like that. What? Because a lot of people don't know that. They go, well, so what? It's a big deal. But here it is. What is wrong with this illusion? They experience not but suffering. It's very, very different than the other translation. All experiences are suffering. The experience not but suffering. Very, very different. Completely different translation. Totally different translation. Two completely different experiences of what's being said. Let's go over to Gunther. If we can find it. Ah, here we go. It is vicious because we live and act solely in misery. Interesting. Or confusion. Because beings live in confusion. When can this confusion be transformed into primordial wisdom? In about 10 minutes. <laughs> is that what you're going to ask? It's like a timeline. So, so here it is. You're looking for the appendix where it says, actually, at 2015. So you go, oh, phew, not very long from now. Okay. You don't think that's really what it says, no. When can this confusion be transformed into primordial wisdom? The word in, in, in Sanskrit is, is J-N-A-N-A. It's a technical word. Primordial wisdom, jnana, which is, means, or in, in uh, Tibetan is yeshe, Y-E-S-H-E, yeshe, which is primordial wisdom, whereas the wisdom they normally use is discriminating wisdom, which is sherab. Two different, different wisdoms. So when? When does this happen? When one attains unsurpassable enlightenment. They're not talking about your enlightenment. They're not talking about your personal liberation. It actually finishes the end, is unsurpassable enlightenment of a fully endowed Buddha. Otherwise, there's still, I am told, still traces of confusion about the nature of reality and the nature of compassion. Still. And we're going to study that later in the text. 
we get to the different degrees of realization of shunita, of emptiness, and the scope of compassion. So you'll actually see how the scope of compassion uh, opens, expands, and the scope of realization of emptiness expands with it. It's quite, quite amazing. It's all described in here. Now, if you think that perhaps this confusion will disappear by itself, then understand that samsara is known to be endless. So in other words, say, well, maybe it's just going to go away by itself. I'll wake up tomorrow. How about, do any of you have that? You wake up tomorrow, it'll be gone. Just kind of like, well, I'll be good today, and then tomorrow I'll be finished. Does that ever happen? If I would just live a good life, it will all take care of itself. And actually, so I'll get reborn next lifetime, and then I can go through it, and so on and so forth. That's, uh, that's called then endless. <laughs> understand that samsara is confusion. Now that, that really has to be understood. And they, only the penny drops, I should say now the $100, bill, the $100 bill drops these days, uh, uh, at a certain point, when a being has enough wisdom and insight, they go, no, this is massive confusion. Some of you are actually wise beings because you have woken up. This is massive confusion. It's not, it's not bad in the sense you're not bad beings, and, and life isn't bad, but it is deeply, deeply uh, confused and massively suffering. Understand how much suffering there is. That's important meditative work. My beloved root teacher, Namaj Rinpoche, was a master of helping people understand how much suffering there was. Because he found that a lot of people just didn't really get it. So therefore he helped them uh, get it further by encouraging the pattern a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper until they would wake up and go, okay, enough, enough. I know I'm in jail now, as opposed to I thought I was actually in paradise, but now I realize I'm in a paradisical jail and uh, caught in prison where the uh, guards keep changing the uh, Rembrandts and the Picassos and the uh, um, Mona Lisas and so on. And it's glorious, but actually there's uh, prison bars in there. And all the uh, jailers keep smiling at you. Understand how much suffering there is. Understand how long it endures. Understand that there is no self-liberation. Now, what does that mean? Are you going to be able to do this yourself? You see? Can you do this yourself? Could Gampopa do it? Now, Gampopa was prophesied by the Buddha to become a Buddha. Could he do it himself? No. Could the Buddha do it by himself? No. So it requires what? It requires causality to allow it to happen. That means the interaction of other life forms that are wiser than yourself. What does Gunther have to say about that? But if you think that it will disperse by itself, you should remember that samsara is notorious. Oh, I like this is notorious for being without end. Cool. Okay. 
Okay. What is wrong with this illusion, the experience not but suffering? When will the delusion become ultimate awareness? When highest enlightenment is reached. Those who think that illusion may be dispelled of its own accord should be aware that samsara is well known for being endless. It just goes on. I like that. You know, put this voice. It goes on and on and on and on for a long time. Therefore, from today onward, you should make as much effort as possible to achieve unsurpassable enlightenment. What manner of things are needed in order to make this kind of effort? And then he makes a summary. The primary cause, working basis, contributing cause, method, result, and activities. All discriminating beings should understand that these six comprise the general explanation of unsurpassable enlightenment. The primary cause of unsurpassable enlightenment, Terry, is that one of those lines that you read again and again and again? Um, <laughs> Not an easy one, is it? No, because what he's done is take, taken all those points, the primary cause of enlightenment, the working basis, the contributing cause, he's just listed them. These are all the things we have to actually investigate. That's all. The primary cause of unsurpassable enlightenment, the person who is the working basis for the achievement of enlightenment, the contributory causes that encourage one to practice, the method of practice, the result that is accomplished, and the activities ensuing from accomplishment. These are the topics one should understand. To explain them in order, the primary cause is the essence of the well-gone one. So the primary cause is the essence of the Buddha. Now it doesn't say the Buddha. The primary cause is the essential nature of the Buddha or Buddha nature. Make sense? Yeah. As a working basis, the precious human life is excellent. To be a human being is an excellent form to practice and attain liberation. The contributory cause is a spiritual master. In other words, the contributory cause, not the sole cause, not the root cause, but the contributing cause is the being that can give you the essential instructions and point your consciousness directly at it, as opposed to, you have to have sound effects. So it's like Monty Python, yes? The nipping, the, the, the nipping, you know, the, the nits, the nits. Is there, is there a skit like that? The nits. What? The knights who say knee. Knee, 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 knee. It's over here. Knee, knee. Yeah. Okay. The knight, the knights that say, the knights that say knee. Knee, knee, knee. Is that that with the right voice from Monty Python? Yeah. Knee. Pardon? They demand a shrubbery. Sure. They demand a shrubbery. <laughs> with a little path. With a little path, yes. Well, you see, without the supreme knight, uh, there isn't the pointing uh, down the right path to, the, to, the, to the, making the point. Okay? So the points are missed, which is very, very bewildering and difficult for people. Very cool. 
The method is a spiritual master's instruction. The result is the body of perfect Buddhahood. The activities are benefiting sentient beings without conceptual thought. I'll repeat that. It's beautiful. The activities are benefiting beings without conceptual thought. In other words, what am I going to get out of it? Will I be okay if I help others? If I give $150 in the auction, will it be okay? You see? What's going to happen to me? Uh, if I walk an extra mile for other beings, what do I uh, get out of it? What's in it for me? So, nope. This is the, uh, it turns out that in Tantra, as taught by Tantra, the supreme bliss is compassion. You just wake up and realize the greatest bliss uh, is the uh, total immersion in compassion of freedom of all sentient beings. Nothing else to do. That's it. It's finished. Nothing else. These six, to- these six topics form the body of this text. Now the limbs will be explained in detail. Another text. This is just a synopsis outlining the main structure of the text. What follows is a detailed explanation of each point. Another text. I really like this. Mm-hmm. Oh, he just carries right on here. So far, these topics have been mentioned as constituting the body of dharma or doctrine. Now they'll be explained in detail as the limbs of that body. Three different translations. That's good. Actually, it's great to have three texts. Go back and forth. Good. See, that's not so confusing. Straightforward. Lovely text. Good. Any questions? Marvelous, isn't it? Clear, lucid mind. Coming from such a highly attained being. Beautiful. Great. So, see you uh, tomorrow. Uh, in the AM. We'll, we'll meet down at the tent there. Does that make sense? Tent, tent tomorrow morning? Yep. Yeah. Idante punikamang asawakiwang o tu, idante punikamang asawakiwang o tu, idante punikamang asawakiwang o tu. Sabe satasudhantu, may all beings be well and happy, and may all beings be established in a continuity of freedom, the perfect realization of Buddhahood, the union of compassion and wisdom. Good. Saramangalam, 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 saramangalam. Excellent. So if you could just carry on reading. And uh, go on to the uh, part one, the enlightened essence or Buddha nature. That'd be that'd be great.